Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast for November 28, 2021. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, which is the season during which we not only remember the coming of Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, but it's also a season of longing and waiting and hoping for Jesus to come again and for the kingdom of God to come to earth in full as it is in heaven. And it seems hard to fathom that we are entering into a second COVID-affected Advent season. But here we are. And while this year is definitely different than last year, we nevertheless still find ourselves in a very now-not-yet place when it comes to relief from the pandemic than perhaps we imagined we'd be when this calendar year started. And that, I think very much makes those themes of longing and waiting for deliverance that are so much a part of the fabric of the Advent season and so much a part of the fabric of where the Israelites found themselves at the time of Jesus' coming particularly poignant for us this year. On the night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was a dark time for God's people. For centuries, dating all the way back to the 7th century B.C., when King Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem and marched God's people off to Babylon, the Israelites had been living in exile. Despite the promise that God had made to them through the prophets, the promise that one day he would send a savior to deliver them, the reality was they were still living under foreign control. The only thing that had changed over the course of the years was the empire that was ruling them. And so the Israelites had been longing and waiting and hoping for God's deliverance. But in the midst of that waiting, as a result of their chronic disobedience, God had gone silent. They hadn't heard from him for generations. They hadn't heard from him for 400 years. And all of that, understandably, had left the Israelites wondering. It had left them wondering if God had forgotten them, wondering if he would speak again, wondering if he would, in fact, deliver them as he had promised. Nevertheless, despite all that they were experiencing, Isaiah's prophecy promised that in the midst of all of the darkness and in the midst of all of the confusion, out of God's grace a great light would dawn. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Then verse 6 of Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And after literally hundreds of years of waiting and anticipation, on the night of Jesus' birth, that great light that Isaiah envisioned became visible. In Matthew's story, it was visible in the form of a star, which compelled a group of men from the east who were learned in astronomy 
to undertake a long and arduous journey in search of the one who had been born as the king of the Jews. Luke's story tells us that as some shepherds were tending their flocks out in the fields, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and God's glory shone around them. And so into the darkness of the night sky, into the darkness of the rule of Caesar Augustus, into the darkness of 400 years of silence, on the night of Jesus's birth, a great light had dawned. Well, as many of you know, last September, our family did something that a lot of people did during the pandemic. We got a puppy, a miniature Australian shepherd that we named Rico. And it was definitely a crazy thing to do uh, on a number of levels, not the least of which is that we already had two dogs, uh, Kirby, who just turned 10, and Riley, who just turned 9. But despite the craziness, uh, the puppy has been a really good thing for all of us. It's been really good for us to have a puppy around. So, you know, one of the things that's key with a puppy, uh, as, as anyone who's had a puppy can tell you, is getting them to expend their energy so that that energy does not turn into destructive energy, right? Which is seen in things like chewing up shoes or the leg of a chair or digging through the trash, and Australian shepherds come with an extra measure of that. Uh, that. That's a particular concern with the breed because they are high-energy dogs by nature. They're, they're working dogs, and so they need a lot of exercise. And so for just about exactly a year now, Lynn and I have been taking the dogs out to the school every morning uh, to play ball and frisbee so that Rico is able to stretch his legs and burn some of that puppy energy. And since Rico is a puppy, we've made it a habit to do that really early in the morning so that we've got the place to ourselves, which has us out there a little bit before six every morning. And over the past few months, uh, being out at the school early in the morning has given me an interesting perspective on light in the darkness. And that's because since around the end of August or the beginning of September, it just started getting darker and darker and darker as the weeks went by leading up to the time change. And it actually got so dark that we couldn't even see the dogs were it not for the fact that they were holding a glow-in-the-ball, a glow-in-the-dark ball in their mouth. I mean, it was so dark, it may as well have been two in the morning. So part of our routine every morning is that we walk all the way out across the field and we look back at the school buildings so that we can keep an eye out to see if anyone is coming. And, and this is what we would see. Now, unfortunately, this photo that you see on the screens doesn't capture the real view very accurately because of night mode on the iPhone. Now, usually night mode is a feature because you ordinarily don't want a photo that's so dark that you can't see anything. But in this case, night mode is more of a bug because I did want a dark photo, right? Sometimes technology is just too good. And so it's hard to tell from the photo because of the way that it has lightened the sky. But when you're out there for reals, that bank of lights that you see on the building, it's just blindingly bright, like 
shade your eyes, hard to look at, bright. And that is the power of a great light in the darkness. The brightness penetrates the darkness and creates this stark contrast that you just can't miss. The people walking in darkness, Isaiah says, have seen a great light. Now, Isaiah's image of the great light, however, encompasses more than simply a light penetrating the darkness. The last part of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, On those living in the darkness, a new light has dawned. So, over the past few weeks now, since the time change went into effect, when we walk across the field and look back at the school, it's been interesting to see how the view has changed as the morning unfolds. Because now, we're beginning to see the dawn. And what has struck me, just taking in and experiencing that really beautiful view every morning. What has struck me is how the dawn is more than a bright light in the darkness. The dawn is more than a bright light in the darkness. It's a light that overcomes the darkness, which you can really see, I think, in the picture. But the dawn has this pervasive effect. It illuminates the entire sky in a way that pretends something new, which I think is precisely what Isaiah wants to evoke here. And so the dawn brings with it the hope of something new. It brings with it the hope of a new day, which for God's people represents the hope of deliverance. And that's the great light that Isaiah is describing. Now, we noted earlier how we see the great light that Isaiah envisioned at the beginning of both the Gospel of Matthew and at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. But it also figures prominently at the beginning of John's Gospel as well. John chapter 1 verse 4 says that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 9 of John 1 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Well, not only does John hearken back there to Isaiah's image of the dawn, as he talks about the light shining in the darkness and the darkness not being able to overcome it, but he also makes a very important connection between the great light that was coming into the world and life. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and in him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. And so Jesus came to earth, John says, as the true light that gives life which is something that Jesus would later proclaim directly during his public ministry. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, in the Greek language, which is the language in which the New Testament is written, 
There are different words that can be translated into English as life. And, and one of the distinctive characteristics of John's gospel is that John always uses the word zoe for life as opposed to the word bios. And there's a big difference. Bios in the Greek language describes life in a physical sense. Bios is the life of the physical body. And because of that, it is temporal and finite. Zoe, on the other hand, refers to life in a spiritual sense. It refers to the life that God has that has been shared through Jesus. And unlike bios life, zoe life is eternal and infinite. And so Jesus reveals there in John chapter 8, verse 12, that he is the great light. And he has come to deliver whoever follows him from the darkness and give them the light of life, which is life, life in God's presence both today and for eternity. Of course, Jesus also reveals over the course of his ministry that as his followers, we are more than just recipients of the light. We are also called to shine the light of Jesus as well. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to let our light shine. For the past six years now, we have been participating as a community in the long-standing church tradition of lighting the candles of Advent. And in addition to being a tangible expression of letting God's light shine, each of the five candles highlights a unique theme of the Advent season and provides a way for us to attune ourselves both to the story of Jesus' coming and to our anticipation for his return. And this year, we are devoting the first Advent season of Highway Volume 2 to reestablishing and recentering and rerouting ourselves in the liturgical practice of the lighting of the candles of Advent. And so our teaching series for this season, which is entitled A Great Light, will explore the core theme of each of the candles of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, good news, and love. And each week, we will end our time with the lighting of the candle for that week. And so this morning, we will join Christ followers around the globe by lighting the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope, which reminds us that Jesus came as the light of the world so that we could receive the light of life and shine the light of life. But before we light the candle, we're going to celebrate communion. And as we prepare to take the elements together this morning, the bread, which represents Jesus's body, and the cup, which represents Jesus's blood, I want us to return to Isaiah chapter 9, 
which so beautifully and powerfully reminds us of the hope that we have now and for eternity because of the great light that has dawned in Jesus. And so I want to invite you now to close your eyes, if you're comfortable doing that, and just listen to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'll leave just a moment for us to settle ourselves before I begin reading. And then I'll also leave some space afterwards for us to continue to listen before we take the elements together. So let's take a moment now to quiet ourselves as we prepare to hear God's word. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As we enter into Advent, may we recognize the hope that we have because the light has come. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says that Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. May we do this also in remembrance of him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful this morning for all that we celebrate as we enter into this time of year. But most importantly, we celebrate the coming of the great light that entered into the world through your Son. We thank you, Father, for shining that light into the world that we might be able to see it and receive it and receive life. To have the hope of life in your presence, both for today and for eternity, and to be called as your people to shine that light into the world. And Father, as we enter into this Advent season, in all the various places in which we find ourselves, I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of the hope that we have in you and that we would be mindful of our calling to be people of hope, to be light in the darkness. Thank you, Father, for all that this season means. And as we walk together, may we experience your hope, your peace, your joy, your good news, and the vastness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>